How many know that it's hot outside? I mean, it's hot outside. You know, we, we have our house on the market, and so uh, we had some stuff scheduled. And so Friday morning, I was like, I've got to do the yard. I don't want to do the yard. It's hot. So I got out there. I mean, I got out before the sun came up, and as soon as the sun was up and up, and I thought I wouldn't make my neighbors angry at me, I was out there getting the yard done before, I was, before it got so hot. And the funny thing is that it, in the midst of that, I'm wrapping that up, and, and we've got our dog. Our dog loves to bark with the dogs next door. And, and whenever, whenever they're out in the yard and she hears it, she begs to get outside, and she loves to go to that corner where she can bark with them, and she jumps up on the fence and spins around in a circle and jumps back up, and her tail's wagging, and they're just barking back and forth. And it's not an angry bark. I mean, they're just like having this part dog party, I guess. But as I was wrapping up doing the yard and I stepped in the backyard and she's right in the middle of this thing and usually when she's got that going on you can say, Macy, come in the house. Macy's not. She just, she's usually very obedient but she ignores. But when she saw me, I know it had to do with the heat because the moment she saw me, she's like, you know what? This is on hold. It's too hot. I'm going back in where the AC is. It's hot. We were... Driving the other day, we passed by Bahama Bucks. And normally, my wife is, is very, you know, I would like this or I would like that or, or something. And she mentioned, I was like, you know, we've already passed it. I don't want to make a U-turn. And all of a sudden, in this very stern voice, I want a snow cone. <laughs> yes, ma'am. It's that season. Homemade ice cream season. As I was thinking about that, I thought of an analogy, if you'll just bear with me for a moment. I don't know what your favorite flavor of homemade ice cream is. My grandmother used to have a recipe called buttermilk ice cream is what she called it, but she, it had some cherries and some pineapple and some stuff in it. And the way that she made it, I don't know what, it doesn't sound good, but that was the best tasting stuff. So I'll just picture, because we live in a world of counterfeit. How many know that? And so I want you to picture, you know, we, we, the world wants to feed us dirt and junk. And I just... I, I just kind of pictured in my mind as I was working on this the idea of how that the enemy loves to lie, how that he loves to dress up dirt and get us to swallow it. So I pictured colored sand dressed up on a waffle cone with a little cherry on top. It may look appetizing, but it's not. But yet, can you picture, you see somebody, they're in that situation, and they're just choking that stuff down, and you come to them, and you've got your favorite homemade ice cream flavor, and you offer to them and said, here, try some of this instead. And they look at you, and they say, no, thank you. Can you imagine stepping back, like, why would you turn this down for that? 
Are you having one of those mirages that you hear about where you think you're, where you think you're out in the desert and, and you're, you're getting something that's good? And so you see that, but you can imagine that so many times that's what we have. We see, we would try our best to convince them, say, you know what? If you will put that down, I promise you this is better. If you will come with me, we'll go. We'll wash your mouth out. We'll get you clean and I'll give you something that you, I guarantee that you will love this so much more. See, spiritually, Jesus does the same thing for us. Scripture says that he leads us beside still waters. And he says, in a sense, spit that dirt out. I've got something so much better for you. He longs to cleanse us from the filth, the immorality, the dishonesty, the prejudice, the bitterness, the greed, all of those life-destroying things. But far too often, hear me, because I'm telling you, this is in my spirit this week. Far too often, we choose the dirt over what he has for us. We stand up too many times and we stand there in face of the greatest offer ever given and we put our arms on our hips and in defiance we say, no, thank you, I can eat dirt if I want to. (laughs) What are we doing? We're bypassing the chance to never be the same. Jesus came so that we could never be the same. He came to restore us to our original purpose. We were created for relationship with God. We were created to have a fellowship and a closeness. But we've got an enemy that somehow again and again convinces us to take the lesser road. And we stand there and defiantly look at God and say, I will keep eating my dirt, thank you. See, too often people say that they want Jesus' grace, but at the same time they want to remain the same. It doesn't work that way. So I was thinking about that. My mind went to the story of Jesus is found in Luke chapter 4. In the time leading up to that, Jesus had, in Luke's writings, Jesus had uh, had his time where he was baptized miraculously by John the Baptist. And God spoke from heaven. The Holy Spirit landed on him, on him in the form of the dove and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus goes from there and he goes into the wilderness to be tempted for 30 days while he's fasting. Just all this stuff happens. And he comes out of that and he begins to minister coming off of that time. And he begins to get a little bit of notoriety. And then he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue and it, as was his custom, I mean, I love how that wherever he went or wherever the apostles, you always find that they found themselves in church. They went to where the believers were. And so Jesus went in. Well, if you had some form, especially if you had some form of notoriety, then, then when he came in, he was, he was given the opportunity to read the scripture of the day. And he was handed the scrolls. 
And the prophet of, of Isaiah, the prophetic speakings of Isaiah were handed to him. And, and he unrolled it and he found a very strategic passage and he began to read in front of everybody. And when, and when he finished reading, he rolled it up. And, and Luke chapter 4, verse 20 and 21 talks about what happened in that moment. It says that he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And they began to say, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now they were used to someone reading scripture and making comments. That was kind of what they did. That's how their services were, were structured. And so no doubt there'd been people come in before and pull out this passage of Isaiah and read it and, and begin to make comments on it. And, but their comments are always about someday this thing is going to be fulfilled. Someday the Messiah is coming. But no one had ever read that in their presence and said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine the shock? There began to be a little bit of discussion back and forth, a little bit of comments uh, among people, and it, it kind of turned into a little bit of a dispute leading to some people getting a little ballistic. How dare him say that today this is fulfilled? Is he saying he's the Messiah? But as you read it and you read other writings and you read, and you read Matthew and Mark's account of this whole exchange, you see that there were several things going on. They begin to say things like, wait a minute. How can this be? This is... This is Mary's boy. This is, this is Joseph's little guy that follows him around as he's doing his carpentry works and, and helps carry things. You know, he's the son of a carpenter. How can this be? Who does he think he is? I mean, we know his, his mom. We know his dad. We know his mother. His, we know his brothers and his sisters. We, we know all these people. How dare he say something like that? And all of a sudden, these people, as you read it as the story plays out, these people in his very own hometown get so upset, they decide to take him outside the city, and they're threatening to throw him off a cliff. Yet, some way, by God's divine protection, he just literally walks through the crowd without being harmed. But the amazing thing is, is they took offense to what he was saying. They were sitting in this incredible moment that the Messiah was standing there right in front of them. Nobody else had ever heard anybody read that passage and say, today in your hearing, this is being fulfilled. What an opportunity they had in front of them. What a never be the same moment. Why? Why did they have an issue? Because people often get violent when the dirt in their mouths and their hearts gets exposed. Don't they? We see it every day. People are bothered. People are offered a better way, but they're determined to hold on to their dirt. We see more and more almost violent responses to things that we know to be true. 
Did you know it's not talked about much, but did you know statistically, worldwide, the most persecuted group on the planet is Christians? We have it pretty good here in the United States, but worldwide, it's tough. But yeah, you don't hear many cries for, of outrage over that. So this morning, I want us to, to, to use this text that Jesus declared. What did he say? What did he read in that moment that was so powerful and so impactful that when he said that today this is done in your hearing that caused this uproar? What did he address? Let's look at it. Luke 4, 18 and 19, he says this. Remember, Jesus himself is reading the prophet Isaiah's prophecy about himself. Man, if ever there's a moment it would have been cool to be there and see that, this was it. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to sit at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How many of you could use a year of the Lord's favor? Man, what a horrible thing to say. What controversial statements to create such an uproar. I mean, my goodness, when did it get controversial to say, hey, I got good news? When did it get controversial to say, hey, I've got liberty. I'm talking about liberty to the captive. Hey, I'm talking about favor of God being on your life. Which one of these was so controversial? You know what I think it was? Not all of it. I think it was because Jesus said, today is that day. Now, I realized they had a problem with who he was apparently claiming to be, but I want us to break down this. I want to take a few moments and look at these four things that Jesus talked about in this moment. First of all, he talked about good news for the poor. In other words, he talked about the poverty level. We hear quite a bit of talk today about the poverty level. Where's the poverty line? Well, I did a little research, and apparently today, at this point in time, the poverty line is somewhere around $25,000 a year for four people. That's what they consider, if you have a family of four, $25,000 is considered the, the poverty line. Jesus said he came to preach good news to the poor. Now, we tend to think of when he makes that statement, we tend to think about money, don't we? But you know, you can have money and still be poor. The word translated poor covers poverty of every kind. In this context, it's referring to something much deeper than just financial poverty. See, money isn't always the answer. So many people think, matter of fact, I saw a study, and I didn't, I didn't pull back up the, the statistics, but did you know that everybody believes, no matter what their income level, everybody tends to believe if they can have 20% more than they're making now, everything will be okay. Money's not the answer. Matter of fact, 
If your life is surrounded by dirt and you get more money, you just got more money to go buy more dirt. Jesus referring, what he was referring to was their moral and spiritual poverty. In fact, the word poor here is the same word that Jesus used when he gave the Sermon on the Mount where he said, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the good news. Truth is, we have people here that went to church. And, and I'm sure that as he was sitting there and he was reading this in the synagogue, as many people, as much as they like to dress up, as much as they like to, to show themselves that they had it all together, I'm sure many of them didn't. I'm sure many of them were just in as much a spiritual poverty as anybody else. And matter of fact, they had, many of them, I believe, probably had some spiritual bankruptcy going on. And for some of them, the idea of dealing with their own dirt was too much. Oh, <clears throat> we want it dealt with someday. But I can just see the shock of when he said, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. I can just picture, this is a mental image I had of some of them. You mean today? You mean deal with this dirt and this junk? You mean today? Because I think many times we're fine when somebody stands up and they preach a message and they talk about getting life together and they talk about getting rid of the junk in life, you know, and they talk about the things that God can do and the things that God wants to do and we're fine with that deal. Oh, yeah, someday. But all of a sudden, when somebody stands up and says, today is the day, we all kind of have that attitude of, <coughs> mean, today? Now? I'm not prepared for that. Who are you to address my need to get something right with God? Because you're just Joseph's boy. You're just the person that we allow to speak once a week. You're just my next door neighbor. And we tend to push back. Let me say this. And if you write anything down, write this down. Never the same moments never come at our convenience. Those God Never the same moments when all of a sudden you find that he is, that something that's being said, something he, he brings upon your heart, that's speaking to your heart, there's something inside you that's like, ooh, that's me. And you're brought to the place that you feel compelled that it's time to deal with something. 
It never comes at your convenience. We can always come up with an excuse why today is not the day, maybe next time. But I'm telling you, it never comes at your convenience. But God always sends it at the right time if you'll listen. Because he desires to set you free. When you feel that tug in your spirit... Don't get mad at the messenger. Respond to what's happening. Because I promise you, it will catch you in a moment when it's not convenient because you already have plans for your pet sin. I mean, you're already tasting that dirt that you're going to go play with. And he's coming along and he says, you need to deal with that. But I had plans for that tonight. It's not convenient. But it's the right time. Moving on, the second type of person that Jesus talks about is the prisoner. He said, liberty to the captives. Now, this was a church service. This was a synagogue. Certainly, none of this audience considered themselves prisoners. That was for those that were outside of God's house. Matter of fact, on another occasion, Jesus got into an argument with some people when he was talking to them about dealing with some things. And, and their answer was, we're children of Abraham. We've never been captives. John 8, 33 says, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? But the word prisoner here doesn't talk, doesn't mean just crooks. It includes, matter of fact, the terminology includes the term as in a, as in a prisoner of war. And Jesus saw how these people as well as so many we see today were in spiritual bondage by so many wrong pursuits and appetites that really made them what I'm calling POSWs, prisoners of spiritual warfare. Held in bondage. Satan's lies have so many people lining up at the dirt buffet on a regular basis. Not realizing there is so much better available for them. I have no doubt. Please understand my heart. I have no doubt there are several here today that if you're honest with yourself, you can name that sin that has you bound inside its prison. As I'm saying those words, probably several of you had something jump to the forefront of your mind. You know exactly what it is. It's not hidden. We don't like to admit it. 
We don't like to talk about it. We want to keep it buried. We don't want anybody else to know. We want to put on that good face when the person that comes up to church and shakes their hands and says, How are you? Oh, man, I am perfect. But we walk away with the shame knowing that we've got that dirt in our life. You know that things aren't right between you and God. You know those things that you look at on your computer screen that you shouldn't be looking at. You know the drugs that you depend on to make you feel good when inside you're hurting. You know that sometimes maybe that bottle has more of a hold on you than you'd like to admit. You know the inappropriate relationships that you have that are outside your marriage that shouldn't exist. You know the things that you've taken that you aren't supposed to take. You know the lies that you've told. You know the, the, the all, we could go down the list. Jesus came to set you free from that prison if you will let him. Let him walk. You know that he looks at us. Don't you know that he looks at us? It's, it's not a condemning. I mean, yes, he'll get on to us. How many have ever been spanked by Jesus? I mean, you're, you're having your devotion time or something happens. You get a, you kinda get, he kind of gives you a spiritual spanking and says, get your act together. Remember when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> my dad would explain to me several times, son, I really don't enjoy this. Kind of his version of the, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. <laughs> but we do have a loving father. And when he disciplines us, it's out of love. It's out of what is the best for us. And if you let him, he'll say, come with me. Let me wash this dirt out of your mouth. I have something much better for you if you'll just give it a try. David in Psalms 34, 8 and 9 put it this way. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord. You his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. How many of you would like to live in that idea of not having lack? See, our biggest fear, I think, in us giving over our dirt to him is because we think that somehow it's going to cause us to lack something in life. That we're going to miss out on something. Yet we have this promise that if we fear him, it will cause us not to have lack. What do we mean by fear? Does this mean cowering in a corner? Let me explain this fear to you this way. It means honoring him at such a high level that the idea of letting him down is repulsive to you. Have you ever had somebody that you just revered so much that the idea of them being disappointed in you was too much to bear? Man, if we can put Jesus in that place that he deserves, then all of a sudden the pet sins, the dirt, the things in our lives, you're like, the idea of him being disappointed in me 
is too much to bear. Matter of fact, the flip side is, you ever experience one of those, what I call a God smile moment? Stephen experienced one as he was being stoned. When he saw the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. Scripture says he's seated at the right hand of the Father. You know what I think? Don't I'm not trying to create any new theology or anything, but I just picture Stephen standing up for him, Stephen doing what was right, and all of a sudden he got a glimpse of heaven of Jesus standing up and saying, that's my boy. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're doing something and you can almost feel God smiling and saying, man, I am so proud of you. There is something about those moments. Every root longing. You know, here's the thing. All the desires that we have at their root, there is a proper fulfillment of that desire. You will not lag, but if you do it in God's way, it'll turn out better every time. The flip side is that we have an enemy that loves to offer all kinds of dirty shortcuts. Oh, I know that you want this, but if you do this the right way, it's going to take too long. It's going to be too much work. It's going to, you know what? Here, let me give you a shortcut. But what he doesn't tell you is the shortcut leads to destruction. It leads to perversion of what God meant to be pure and right. Let's think about it. What are drugs? Jesus said, I came to give you joy and peace. Well, instead of doing that the hard way, let's just, let's just try to chemically manufacture it. And it works for a season, but where does it lead? Destruction. Alcohol. Inappropriate relationships outside of marriage, stealing, lying, all these things are just a shortcut that takes you through the dirt when God has them. He can give you all those things. What did he say? He says, you will not have lack. Charles Wesley was the original writer. Kind of interesting, I I put this in my notes and we kind of had some some hymns today, but he, he wrote the the hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Verse 4, 4 says this. this is so powerful. It says, He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. That same blood will avail for you. You can become unbound and unprisoned today. Today could be your never be the same day. But Jesus didn't stop there. The third thing he mentioned is, <clears throat> is the, the person with blinded eyes. He talked about recovering of sight to the blind. Now we know certainly there were physically blind people that Jesus healed. But those aren't the only eyes that he opened. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Our enemy wants to keep us from seeing the truth. You ever had that person that is, you, you try to have a conversation with them and they're so blinded. You can lay the truth out there as plain as day and they just can't seem to see it. Paul got similar instructions early in his ministry. When he, as he was telling the, retelling the story to Agrippa, when he had that encounter on the road to Damascus, he says very plainly that Jesus told him, I am sending you to open the eyes of them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in him. Jesus came to open blinded eyes. But so many times we're even blinded to the own dirt we have in our mouths. Remember, there are never be the same moments never come at our convenience. One of the scariest things is when someone is blind to their own true situation. Matter of fact, many times, aren't we all great? We can tell you... (laughs) If we were to start it today, we can have a time and we say, okay, we're going to do this exercise, and I can pick one person at a time, and I can bring them up on stage, and we could go through the crowd of people that know who they are, and, and man, we could probably rattle off every single fault they have. Wouldn't that be fun? But yet how many times... Do we get so caught up in the speck in somebody else's eye when Scripture says we have a plank in our own? So many times we're blind to our own faults. The best thing you can do, though, when you know somebody that, that has something in their lives and they're blind to the damage it's doing to them is, first of all, pray for them. Lord, open their eyes. Bring them to the end of this thing. But then the next to that, the best thing you can do for yourself is to cast off your own stubbornness and pray, Lord, if there's any blindness in me, open my eyes. Lord, help me see myself as you see me. It's the best thing you can do. And the last one this morning, what I'm calling it, those that are shattered and crushed. He said he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, we're surrounded today by people that are oppressed and they're broken. The original word literally means to be broken to pieces, to be shattered, to be crushed, to be trampled on. Jesus came to those lives that were squashed by life's 
crushing load and they can't see their way out. Have you ever seen that person that just they're just so downtrodden, they're just so heavy laden, they can't seem to make it through life. Everything just feels like they're 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 weighed down. And people get there by all the previous things that we just mentioned. All these can be lead to being crushed under these things, under this weight of oppression. Many have carried a heavy weight so long that it's hard for them to even dream of the possibility of a way out. You can almost see them sometimes. They're just life. They seem like life is so heavy as they begin to try to work their way through life. And this world loves when people are in that kind of mode and situation. The world today loves to pile on. The world today loves to kick people while they're down. Our enemy, along with people in their life, continually tell them how they will never measure up. And you may be here, and you may feel that weight. Maybe that's part of what's going on in your life. I'm here to tell you, yes, there's an enemy, and he wants to tell you that you're crushed, that you're broken, that you'll never measure up, just like they pointed to Jesus and says, but you're just a, the world wants to tell you that you're just this, or you're just that, and that you'll never, and there's no way out of your situation. But I'm telling you, Jesus said that he came for those that were oppressed. He longs to lift that burden. He came and he said, he declared and said, hey, I've got good news. You don't have to keep swallowing that dirt. I've come to lift you up. I've come to lift you out of spiritual poverty. I've come to lift you out of, set you free from spiritual bondage. I've come to open up your spiritually blinded eyes. I've come to lift your broken spirit. What did he say? He says, this is the year of the Lord's favor. I'm here to tell you this morning, the year of the Lord's favor can be yours today. He said, I've come to heal the broken hearts. I ain't been thinking about that term, the year of the Lord's favor. You'll never be the same moment. Second Peter 3.8 says this, but do not overlook this one fact. I mean, if the scripture says that, maybe you ought to read what comes after that, right? <laughs> Beloved, that with the Lord one day is, is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now, if we're talking about the year of the Lord's favor, because Peter says this as people are talking about how slow Jesus seems to be in answering some of his promises. How many know that you've had, how many of you have had those times you prayed for something or prayed for something or prayed for something and you seem like, okay, he's a little slow in responding. You almost feel like you're getting the spiritual, all lines are busy right now. <laughs> That's never the case. He is not slow concerning his promises. As some count slowness. But we must remember our never be the same moment doesn't come at our convenience, it comes at his timing. And his timing is perfect. 
Oh, it may come slower than we would like. But here's the good news. It also has a way of lasting much longer than just a year. Now, I know, once again, my mind goes places that may not be completely theologically correct, but humor me for just a moment. If a day is like a thousand of years, then the year of the favor of the Lord could actually be 365,000 years. Sounds pretty close to eternity to me, I'm thinking. And if a thousand years are like a day, he can accomplish an eternity's work of healing in your life today. But that day comes on his schedule, not our convenience. Spiritual procrastinators say never do today what you can put off till tomorrow. But what if tomorrow never comes? Today could be your never be the same moment. Today could be the day that you say goodbye to your spiritual poverty. Today could be the day that you put things that have bound you in the rearview mirror. That you finally put that pet sin to rest. Today can be the day that you see everything in your life truly as it is. Today can be the day that crushing weight that has had you down could be lifted. I want to invite our worship team to come back. What did Jesus say that created all that stir and all that uproar? He said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You may be here today. And as I was sharing some of this, as gross as the image is of us having a mouthful of dirt, maybe you're here. And as I spoke, in your mind, you identified what that dirt would be in your life. Today can be the day that you let him come and you let him wash out all that stuff out of your life. And proclaim to you that today is the day of the beginning of the year of the Lord's favor. That you can be set free. Now I know we live in a day and a time where it is so easy. People are almost afraid, it seems today, to really call for a a strong commitment. We live in a time where where people don't want to admit that to anybody else around there's anything wrong. Or there's anything that needs to be gotten right. And so many times you get any kind of response... 
You have to say, okay, everybody bow your heads. Everybody close your eyes. Nobody looking around. And maybe, just maybe, somebody will kind of sheepishly raise a hand and say, that was speaking to me. But whatever you do, don't ask me to come down in front of everybody else. Well, today I'm kicking all that stuff to the curb. Because sometimes you never be the same moment is right there in front of you and today is the day that you can make all kinds of excuses well that's not me or I don't want anybody else to think I've got a problem I've got a position in the church what are they going to think sometimes you just got to say Lord I'm I'm done I'm done. I've been carrying this thing. And I know what it is. And I've got to leave it somewhere. Today can be your day. I'm going to pray that I'm going to step right down up here. And if today is the day, if you feel that tugging in your heart, if you identified what that dirt is and you know what you need to do, don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for a more convenient time. It's never going to come at your convenience. It's going to come at his perfect timing. And I'm telling you, he orchestrated all this. You're not here today by any mistake. This word today is for you. And nobody here is going to think ill of you. They're going to celebrate with you. So they're going to do that song they started off with. I'd never heard that song before, and I thought, that's preaching my message right there. That's you. Don't put it off. Don't wait for another day. Don't wait for another time. Nobody's going to hear what you have to say. I told them, I said, don't worry about being quiet with it. You just sing that song. But if that's you and God spoke for you, I want you to meet me right down here. And let's pray over this thing. And let's get that dirt dealt with once and for all.